here again for more spooks, haunts. Mine's not either of those, but... Other odd and interesting things. Yes, yes, (laughs) for sure. Are you excited? I sure am. Excited. We survived two weeks so far. This is great. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Rushing last minute, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But thank you for coming back for another week. Yeah, and for those who don't know, uh, I am Janelle. Oh, and I'm Chell. <laughs> <Let's> see. <laughs> if you can't tell by our voices, but it's only episode two, so. Yeah, I hope our voices are different enough that. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I guess you never know. It's just one person pretending to be two people. It's all good. That would be scary. <laughs> But here we are, and you're going to go first. I sure this time. am. Again. Uh-huh. Which I'm excited for your story. So sit back, relax, get your glass of whatever, <laughs> sit by a fire or by the window in the sun because it's summer. I don't know. I'm chilling under the AC, but that's cool, too. <laughs> Yes. Well, I was talking about the listeners, like, if, I don't know. Okay, (laughs) just enjoy, you guys. All right, so this is Janelle, and this is my, um, I guess, story for this week's episode. I'm going to continue with the theme of uh, Old Town Albuquerque ghosts and spookiness. Awesome. (laughs) Um, If... You haven't listened to our first episode for some weird reason. I would say go back there for a brief history of Albuquerque. Stop what you're doing and go back. <laughs> <laughs> and freak Janelle out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so brief history of Albuquerque is in the last episode, as well as um, information about Cody, Cody Polston uh, and the S- Southwest Ghost Hunters Association, which is a big source for most of this information. Um, but yeah, so otherwise we're going to keep trucking along and sharing some fun old town Albuquerque spookiness. So t- this week we're going to be going into the Bluer Mansion. I really hope I'm pronouncing that right because it's spelled Blue Her. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask how it was spelled. Yeah. So I think it's Bluer for some reason. I keep wanting to say Bueller though, but. <laughs> <laughs> Bueller. <laughs> But anyways, so first off, a history of the Bluer Mansion. Um, Before the mansion was there, it was originally the site of an old adobe structure. Um, As I mentioned in in the last episode, I said that adobe is a clay building material. Um, If you look up Pueblo online, like you'll see a ton of it. Sorry. Um, That structure was rented out by the army as an officer's quarters, and later it was the first Albuquerque Academy in 1879. Um, But before the mansion was built, it was actually raised, which not raised as in lifted, raised as in completely destroyed. Um, What? Yeah, fun fact. I have no idea. I don't know what happened. I couldn't find... Nobody wants to talk about it, apparently, so... I was confused. (laughs) But, um, so anyway, so the people who built the mansion, um, Herman and Sophie Bluer. So Herman was born in Illinois in 1862 to Franz Bueller. See, I dig it. Bluer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I heard it. 
and I just was rolling with it. <laughs> so Franz Bluer was had immigrated to America from Germany, and his uh, Herman Bluer's mother was Kagi Frank. He was the fourth of five children, and in 1877, so I'm not doing that math, but he was over the age of 10 at least. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, he went to St. Louis, Missouri, and worked with a market gardener for five years. He learned a lot about producing and shipping vegetables. Mm. Um, it, but in January 1882, he moved to Old Town, Albuquerque, and worked for six months with another market gardener, where he developed more of his skills, learned a lot about stuff, and then he ended up actually buying his employer's interest and set up his own business. So, a market grower versus, like, a a farmer? What's the difference? That's a good question. The best I could find is that not only do they farm, but they also deal with, like, helping sell farm equipment or, like, they also, like, help develop other stuff. Okay. Um, like I'll go into a bit more about what he did and he was called a market gardener. So I'm guessing this is part of the job, Okay, (laughs) but yeah, so he got his own business where he adopted and improved methods and used his own skills to make it very successful. It included being, uh, for the first farm equipment dealership in Albuquerque. Oh, dealership. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he eventually had um, 20, a 20 plus acre market garden to grow produce. He also introduced draft horses to Albuquerque and experimented with growing tobacco in the Rio Grande Valley. Oh. And he eventually came to be shipping his products to um, eight states or territories, including California. Oh, okay. Um. He ended up marrying Sophia Spinger, also known as Sophie, in 1884, and they had five children, Emma, Clara, Oscar, Viola, and Arno. Um, By 1898, he had gained a fortune from his market gardening business, and he worked with Sophie to build Bluer Mansion. This was a two-story Italiante style, (laughs) or Queen Anne style brick home. Okay. Um, it was a style that was imported to New Mexico via the railroad. It was actually going out of style on the East Coast, but it was new to us Western folks, so okay. we were excited. <laughs> out of style, but in style. Um, I would definitely say, if you look up the Bluer Mansion, um, it's a beautiful home, and it, there's pictures of it online. Okay, I'll do that while you're doing your thing. Because I I can explain this, but I had no idea what this meant until I looked up a photo. But it had high-hipped roofs, um, projecting gable dormers, and porches on both floors. That was some of the um, key points of that architecture. Okay. And it was one of the four mansions that were in Old Town pre-World War I. Oh, I like it. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. Yeah. Um... After the Bluer family, Dr. Nolting's family resided there. I'm assuming till the 1950s, because they don't mention anyone else until the 1950s. Okay. Um, so it was a beautiful home, if anyone looks it up. Gorgeous. Yes. Um, and then in the 1950s, they changed it from a mansion to a restaurant and destroyed all of that. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> um... Because in the 1950s, they were really trying to appeal to tourists, and yeah. we talked about that last time, like, keeping the Wild West look and the Native American look alive to yeah, appeal to them. not it. Yeah. yeah. So, they converted the building into a restaurant, and they basically went with what they call now the Puebloization phase of Old Town. Okay. So, 
the roof porches and wings of the mansion were removed. Um, they replaced uh, the walls with adobe, or they just put stucco over the brickwork to make it look like adobe. You know what? I wonder what Old Town would look like if they didn't do all of that. It would look a lot more diverse, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I just like, I like that style, and it's more Midwest, I guess, style. Yeah. And it's like, now we have this um, style that New Mexico adopted that everybody thinks of as New Mexican, and it's not, like, (laughs) we just did it because we're like, sure, we're the Wild West. Yeah. Whatever. (laughs) The Pueblos have adobe walls. We'll just stick adobe walls on this random building. It'll work. Yeah. (laughs) But so they did that, and they also, um, and also before 1953, Leon Watson, who apparently was a building and home designer from Florida, he came from Florida after the Depression destroyed his business out there, but he came here and apparently he designed a ton of homes and buildings around the area at that time. Um, But him, he added an addition that was wrapped around the mansion, which if you look at a picture um, of the restaurant now you'll see it, it like looks like a wooden uh porch but like more southwest style <laughs> what is the restaurant called so now it is la hacienda oh okay i know what you're um at this time in the 1950s when it was made to a restaurant i have no clue what it was called because it didn't become la hacienda till later oh okay um but i couldn't find anywhere what it was called um but in so they did all those remodeling. Oh, and despite the many changes, the original house is still visible from the back of the building. So um. you see this adobe structure and everything. And then if you just walk around to the back, it's like you see hints <laughs> of that old mansion. And it's oh. really interesting. <laughs> that is interesting. But yeah. So in 1954, the building was bought by the Brown family. So fun fact, they were the owner, the original owners of the La Placita restaurant, which I talked about last episode. Ah. Apparently they follow the ghosts. Yes. <laughs> but it was or the kept... ghosts followed them. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, but so they kept it as a restaurant and that is when 1954 was when it became La Hacienda. See, you beat me to it by a few uh, seconds. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um At its peak, though, La Hacienda was the largest and busiest restaurant in Albuquerque. Many celebrities of the time ate there, which included Claude Rains, who was a British actor who was in Invisible Man and Casablanca, as well as many, many more films. Ah. Um, Duncan Hines, he was an American pioneer of restaurant ratings for travelers. So he was like the original Yelp, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And he... The fruit products brand, Duncan Hines, like all the baking stuff and everything, uh, is named after him. Oh, yeah. interesting. Fun fact. So he, yeah. ate at, he ate here in Old Town. And Jean Tierney, she was an American film and stage actress. She was in The Ghost and Mrs. Muir and was the leading lady in many 40s and 60s, many, many movies from the 40s through the 60s. Okay. Um, she was very beautiful. If you look her up, she was gorgeous. But anyways, so that's kind of a background and then so we were talking about like additions and changes to the building Mm -hmm. on top of all that research i did apparently there was a brick addition that was done at some point that nobody ever mentioned but (laughs) but mr polston who wrote um ghosts of old town albuquerque 
mentioned that after this brick addition was done, that was when most of the hauntings started in this building. And yeah, let me tell you, were like, mm-hmm. yeah, they're like, this was one too many remodels. Like we're, we're done. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyways, um, there is so much, there is so much in this building. A lot of ghosts. Yes. Perfect. There's tons of disembodied voices. Um, most of them are usually associated in some way with the antique staircase that is at the center of the old mansion. Ah, staircase again. Yeah, all these <laughs> staircases. Um, so some of the disembodied voices you can hear, there is laughter heard that comes from the third floor, and you can hear it when you're on the first floor. Oh. Um, but it's definitely confirmed that no one's up there at that time because there's literally a gate that seals the third floor so that the general public can't go up there. Oh, okay. Um, and there's times that, like, I think even a manager heard the laughter once and went running up there thinking somebody had somehow gotten past the gate. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> is the third floor, is that the one that's, like, visible to the square or whatever? Um, I think so. Okay. That's a good question. I'm trying to picture, because I've been in that area, I'm trying to picture it. Yeah. Yeah, that was another thing that surprised me when they started talking about third floor, because most of the time they mention it's a two-story building, so yeah. there's a magical brick addiction, brick addition and a magical third floor that appears at some point in history. I have no <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you just don't know yeah. how it got there. I don't. Like, there was a lot of documentation about that mansion and all the changes that were done to it, but... Either I couldn't find the information or the stuff was too politically written that I wasn't able to oh. make out what exactly okay. had happened. Yeah. Um, there, but anyway, so going back to disembodied voices and craziness. So there have been people on the third floor, so usually employees or ghost investigators, um, who have, are up there. And then all of a sudden they'll hear a piano and a crowd of people conversing on the first floor. Oh, is there a piano on the first floor? Again, good question. Have no idea. Okay. (laughs) I've only been to that restaurant like once and I was like in high school and I don't remember much. I don't remember either. It's been a while. I would think there's a piano, but who knows? Maybe not. But regardless. (laughs) It would add to the creep factor. That is true. For sure. I know. But we're just going to have to go to our old town after this, because now yeah. we have to go see what's You're going. making me be like, wait, what? <laughs> We've only lived here our whole lives, but, you And know. I go all the time, like, on the weekends. Oh, nice. All the time. I just don't eat in the restaurants, I guess. I shop more. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Well, later on, I'll be including more shops, maybe. Okay. Then we'll actually know. But anyway, so they're on the third floor. They hear pianos and people partying downstairs, go ringing down. Nobody's there. Okay. Um, and it goes silent as soon as they reach that first floor. Oh. Like, like during business hours? Um, I know that it's been heard by employees. It did, they didn't say quite when the employees would hear it. I'm assuming um, not. I would assume right? not. Yeah, because if you're hearing people talk during business hours, you don't really. <laughs> There's people here. Oh my god! I work in a business where there's customers. What's happening? <laughs> but um, I do know for sure, though, when uh, SGHA, um, Southwest Ghost Hunters Association, mm-hmm. um, when they investigate, it's usually at nighttime. So I would okay. assume when they had their experience that that's when that happened. Right. Makes sense. Um, there's also times that employees hear their names called when nobody's around. Oh. 
and children are also heard crying on the second floor, as well as footsteps and furniture scraping. Okay. (laughs) So someone's living up there, even though there's nobody living up there. Is there background story as to why children are there? Honestly, there wasn't anything about that. My best guess would be because the, you know, the Bluer family, they had five kids. So maybe it's like residual energy that's just kind of hanging out. I mean, when you have five kids crying and screaming, I'm sure some of it (laughs) might stick around. But (laughs) did they die when they were kids? You know, you're asking a lot of questions that I did not look up. (laughs) I'm (laughs) going to have to do better on my research. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm good with questions. But yeah, now I know I got to do better on my research. Gotta kick it up a notch. <laughs> um, but anyway, so going into footsteps and all that, there are footsteps all over the place as well. Okay. Um, one waitress would not only hear footsteps coming up behind her, she had that happen frequently, Ooh. but there was one time that she literally heard heavy footsteps running up at her <sighs> from the front. Ooh, that's spooky. And she claimed to not be too bothered. But I guess, I don't know if she was, either that or she had a freeze um, response. (laughs) But apparently her... priorities in order. (laughs) Like, that's scary. But apparently her co-worker took off when it happened, so... She's like, why are you scared? Who cares? But this is also the same waitress who um, named the ghost Jose. (laughs) And she says goodnight to him whenever she's closing, so... Maybe they're lovers. That is weird. Sometimes people take ghosts as lovers. I don't know. I've heard some freaky stuff, but yeah, I I don't know. I would hope not. But this lady, though, she's had a lot of experiences. Apparently, she's really chill with the ghosts because she's also had ashtrays turned upside down, doors opening on their own. She's heard other music playing and had dishes thrown around. Oh, so okay. she's, she's just hanging out with all with this. All Apparently, like <laughs> she should be a ghost hunter, right? Just joining with SGHA. Yes. I, don't, I hope that I hope they're still together. <laughs> <laughs> should probably figure that out. Their website is like .net, so I don't oh, know. <laughs> okay, okay. And this book was written in 2012, so oh, it's been some years. Some years <laughs> feels like yesterday, but it was some years, <laughs> like a decade ago. But. Yeah. So there was also a carpenter named Ruben who was removing old window frame paint at night in 1960. And he had his, whenever he would put his tools down and look away, like his tools would be picked up and moved and hung on the wall somewhere, like far away from him. And he he was by himself. He was at night working on this. And so like. These go over here, Yeah, sir. you need to clean up after yeah, yourself, sir. come on. Um, and he said that he would, every time it happened, he would smell like a flowery or perfumey kind of smell. Oh, so it was a female, like, yeah. hanging his tools up. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so he was like, so he knew every time, and it said, like, after a while, he just knew, okay, I smell that smell, where's my stuff? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so also the oldest ghost story was from an interview with a woman named Francis by the Works Progress Administration. Have no clue who they are, but they apparently interviewed a bunch of people in Old Town at one point. Oh, okay. Um, so Francis used to work at the restaurant, and she saw a cup of coffee on the table when she was going to what she thought make the first pot of coffee of the day, because she was there before everyone else, mm-hmm. except the cook. 
the wizard okay. and the cook. So she goes in, she's going to make a pot of coffee. Oh, wait, there's a cup of coffee on the table. What's going on? So she's like, she thought it was probably a cup from the day previous, you know, mm-hmm. someone just forgot to clean up after themselves. Well, she went to grab it. I don't know if she, like, it says she put her finger in the liquid Ew. and felt it was hot. <laughs> I don't know if she was like, hey, let me check out this coffee and just shove her finger in there. Or if she like went to grab the cup from the top, maybe, and like her finger touched it. Yeah. But regardless, the liquid was hot. Huh. And the cup was ice cold. Oh. So she was like, whoa, this is weird. And then the cook happened to walk in. And so she turned to look at the cook and say, hey, check this out. This is weird. But when she looked back, there was no cup there. Yeah, I would check myself into a mental ward. (laughs) Yeah, right. And she even said she was like, you know, nothing happened after that, and I'm okay with that. She's all, yeah, I'm not crazy, guys. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so she had that. Um, Probably one of the most well-known ghost stories from this area well, from this restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go on the ghost tour that they have, they do share this story a lot of times. Okay. Um, it is uh, Mary's story. She is the ghost. The ghost of Mary. Okay. And so Mary was a woman who worked in the gift shop and restaurant around 1980. Um, at the time, she had been dating a gang member, but she had decided to break up with him. She was like, <laughs> the gang life is not for me. Thanks. Wrong idea. <laughs> yeah. You don't break up with with a gang member. Yeah. So her ex-boyfriend lost yeah. it, got very upset about that same day, and showed up at the back door of her work that night demanding to see her. Oh, gosh. So, of course, the back door, like, she would exit out that door regularly, but she had to go through, like, it was like, the, I think it was the kitchen door. So okay. she wasn't working in the kitchen, but all the people working in the kitchen heard this crazy guy banging on the door and screaming for her. Okay. Um, And... So, actually, rewind, back that up. There were two back doors because there was the kitchen door and she went out a different door. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, guy banging on the door, kitchen staff are freaking out. They call the police and they're like, oh no, Mary's getting ready to leave work. Like, we should go warn her and tell her to stay in the building. Mm-hmm. Someone goes running to try to tell her, hey, don't go outside. But they were too late. She exited the building, her ex-boyfriend saw her, he shot her twice, killing her, and then shot himself and killed himself. Oh, by the tree. By the tree. I remember. There was a very old tree at the back of the building that they both died by. Yes. Sad. Um, so after she passed away, um, there have been multiple sightings of her ghost uh, just continuing to work and chill. Like, she's serving drinks and just oh my gosh. continuing work. Girl, I- clock out already. <laughs> She tried. It didn't go so well for her. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sorry, we're not laughing at disrespect. No. It's just... <laughs> but, um... That, that would be horrible, though, to die where you worked, and then, like, as a ghost, you just keep working. You're stuck at work, I yeah. would hate that. Yeah. That would be horrible. Yes, I totally yeah. agree. But in people think in relation to her ghost, they will see their drinks move. Um, they've also had their hair tugged. Um, and they will also sometimes see their table get wet as if somebody had just wiped it down with a wet rag. So she's like clinging even while you're hanging out there. But I mean, I guess it's good to have help. (laughs) I guess. Um, but on top of her ghost, there are many other apparitions that happen at this place. So many. 
So there was one waitress who saw a boy coming with a couple, but when she set the table for three people, the couple looked at her all confused. And she was like, well, where's the boy that came with you? And they were like, um, we don't have a boy. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, uh, this lady's also crazy. <laughs> yeah. And to know, the restaurant was not busy at all at that time. Oh my like, gosh. There was, like, nobody else there because she literally told them to sit wherever they wanted. Imagine full-on seeing a little boy and then he is not there. Yeah. That'd be scary. Exactly. Um, So there was also a cook who had worked there for several years who claimed that there were at least two to three ghosts in the restaurant. Um, One of those, he believes, is a Spanish soldier who served and died there. Uh, He claims that the guy just keeps watch, but he's not hostile. He's not... Served and died... At the restaurant? So, if you remember, it used to be an adobe structure that was uh, rented by the army. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and he died there, like, of something. Okay. Of something. Oh, okay. Who knows? <laughs> okay. okay. This guy is just like, I, I know all. This is a Spanish soldier. Okay. You know. Okay. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's another waitress who often fills a uh, presence in the kitchen doorway and one time saw a girl disappear into the second floor storage room. Oh. She chased after her only to find that nobody was in the storage room. I would be terrified to chase <laughs> after somebody who disappeared. Right? Well, if you think that's terrifying. Uh-oh. There was a now former waitress. <laughs> oh. Who went to investigate some flickering lights on the second floor. And while she was up there, she happened to look in a mirror and saw the reflection of an old person instead of herself <laughs> and re- quickly ran away from yeah, the building. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> um, there are also multiple reports of a woman in a flowing white old-fashioned dress who walks through the walls. Lady in white, always. Yep. And people, but people who see her usually feel pr- peace or tranquility, but they also feel a little sad. I would feel scared. If I saw a ghost. <laughs> I would definitely be startled at the yes. very least. Um, but a lot of people think that this may be Sophie Bluer. Oh, okay. So. There's just that thought, but who knows, that's all they really said about it. Um, some workmen also saw a man in old-fashioned clothes at the top of the antique staircase. Okay. Apparently just if you don't want to see ghosts, just avoid antique staircases. Mm, like, <laughs> I'm going. All of them. Um... And then, just a little side tidbit, uh, there was one ghost tour group who had seen a woman on in the third floor window. Oh. And they went crazy taking pictures with their flash cameras, but they like couldn't... recent? Uh, it was a while back, probably like early oh, 2000s. 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Got yeah. It. Okay. So like early 2000s, um, so ghost tour group, they're freaking out. Oh my gosh, there's a woman in the window. They're taking yeah. pictures, there's flashing cameras, all this stuff. Well, when Cody was doing interviews to write this book, (laughs) he interviewed a waitress who was like, yeah, there was one time a tour was coming by and I went up to the storage room (laughs) to go get some stuff. I was going to ask if there was like pictures of said ghost. Yeah. No. (laughs) I would probably do the same thing. She said she was literally like blinded for a few seconds by all the flashing cameras. Yeah. (laughs) She had her Beyonce moment. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, so talking about ghosts that aren't quite real, um, there is also a urban legend that comes from part of the Bluer uh, area because they had a 20 acre place. Okay. So they also had a barn Mm -hmm. 
And now that place is the large building in what is called Plaza. I just said that really bad. Plaza Hacienda Mm -hmm. of Old Town. So there's that big building. It was their barn. Now I think it's like shops and stuff. Okay. Um, So that was home to an event that did happen, but it was turned quickly into this crazy urban legend. Okay. So first we're going with the legend because that's the more fun part. (laughs) Always. So the barn uh, was where, back back in the days of the Bluer family, Mm -hmm. it was where lovers would go to a quote-unquote rendezvous. Ooh. Hang out. A romp in the hay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So they go hang out. And um, one of the Armijo family daughters, so the Armijo family I mentioned last episode. Yes. Um. So one of their daughters was engaged to a man who was popular among the ladies. Oh. And one evening she was taking a walk and she got to the barn and lo and behold, there's her fiance with another woman. And she became enraged. Scandal. Grabbed the nearest tool she could find, which was a hatchet. Ah. And went after her fiance and totally lost it. And she dismembered and murdered him. Uh, the woman, the other woman, gog away. <laughs> she's all, oh my gosh, she's crazy. Exactly. <laughs> While she was, you know, murdering her fiance, the yes. other woman was like, I think I should dip out of here. Oh, not worth it. <laughs> yeah. And um, afterwards, the Armijo daughter lost her mind. And when she died, she haunted the barn as the hatchet lady. Mm, I would too. Right. Sure. And so she's commonly explained to have a bloody hatchet, black eyes, and attack any lovers who get too close to the bar. Mm. Um, lovers still go there? Uh, I don't know about today. <laughs> but Let's go see the hatchet lady and make out. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So fun story. Uh-oh. Let Your me get into story. There's, no, oh. not my own story. No, no, no. So, no, but there's another version of this urban legend. Oh. And Kogi Polston, again, the author of the book where I got most of this, uh, he actually came across this other story in 2003 when he was doing a ghost tour. Mm-hmm. And this man in his 90s was like, hey, wait, no, you for- you forgot parts. <laughs> oh. And he- I was there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was like, wait, what do you, what do you mean? And he was like, well, no. The version he grew up in Old Town. This older guy in his nineties, so he okay. had grown up in Old Town, and he said, "No, the story I heard was that, like, yeah, it was this Armijo daughter who went crazy, killed her boyfriend or whatever, or her fiance. Mm-hmm. Um, but her ghost uh, doesn't attack lovers who come near the barn. What it is is couples actually go there, would go there, mm-hmm. and it was almost like a Bloody Mary type thing." So oh. they would like recite her name nine times. Nine. That's a lot. Yeah. Right. Times. You got to have some commitment <laughs> for this one. And so they would recite her name nine times and then she would appear behind them. Oh. And either she would leave a bloody handprint on the girl's back oh. or she would scratch the boy's back. Ooh. The bloody handprint would mean, hey, if you guys stay together, this will be a good marriage. But the scratch on the boy's back is like, nah, you're doomed, gig away. Oh my gosh. Imagine you're like, let's go figure it out. How long we got? The reason this guy knew about the story was because his brother, his older brother, wanted Mm -hmm. him to trick his then girlfriend. (gasps) 
So he was like, you know, this guy, now in his 90s, back then he was a little boy. Yeah. His older brother gives him a can of red paint and is like, hey, let's go over there. You follow us. And then when we recite her name, you put a handprint on her back. Oh my god, That's pretty funny. (laughs) Right? (laughs) But yeah, so then the guy, like I said, back to 2003, this guy in his 90s is like, no, I know the story because my brother really wanted to do it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. Did they do it? Um, so, no, because they, the guy, the brother and his girlfriend got there, they started reciting the name, well then, this man who was then a boy, mm-hmm. he happened to hear a, a sound behind him, he turned around, and there was a goat, but he just saw this goat head, and he freaked out and ran away. <laughs> goat. I was like, ghost? No, no. Goat. Okay. goat. Like, okay. yeah. Yeah. Bah. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. Got it. <laughs> But, um, oh, and the other part was that if the couple turns around and if you see the hatchet lady, you are cursed. So you don't want to look back at her. So even if she's scratching the hell out of your yeah. back, you're just like... Just run away. Just don't just even look run. back. Just <laughs> run. Don't look back. Um, but also other stories of this legend um, also claim that she was a bruja, which is witch in Spanish. See. Um, and they say she could shapeshift into various animals, which Polston speculates that maybe this is why the guy, when he was little, got more scared of the goat. <laughs> but, yeah. Because he's she like... She had a beard. It's actually time. her. She's a goat. No. But so, yeah. Fun stories all around. You yeah. know, just spooky things to tell each other and whatnot. Um, fun fact also, Travel Channel did film, um, the story for their show. Uh, oh. it was a show called Weird Travels. The only issue is they did present it as a true story. Oh. Awesome. Um, there is a bit of truth as there always is behind some urban legends. Yes. So there was a domestic dispute behind the bluer barn. Oh. But it was a wife just smacking her husband with a garden hoe. <laughs> <laughs> What did he do? They wouldn't say in the newspaper. In the newspaper article, it just said, you know, so-and-so whacked her husband with a gargan hoe. It was big enough (laughs) to be in the news, but not big enough to be, like, this is why. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Apparently not. (laughs) She's all, you guys don't need to know. I just beat the hell out of him. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) But he did not die. He lived a happy, well... I hope a happy life. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> if his wife's speaking it with a hoe. <laughs> Probably deserved it. You're right. Um, but the fact is that the garden hoe was changed to a hatchet after the Lizzie Borgen case grew in popularity. Okay. Makes sense. Um, the story was also probably influenced by the multitude of hatchet lady myths that are across the U.S. Like, if you yeah. literally Google the hatchet lady myth, like, you'll find a hatchet lady myth for, like, every state. Uh, okay. It's all over. We all have to have one, and that's ours. That is true. Yes. yes, and and then also just to confirm, you know, clear the air. The Armijo family was not involved in any of this. Okay, <laughs> because if it was, they definitely would have been in the news since they were such a high society family. That's true. Yeah, like if they reported that some random lady smacked her husband with a garden hoe, I think they would have named him <laughs> if they were famous in the town. They're like it was you, and you killed your fiance, and she's like. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, right. What's even there? But okay. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so that's the true and not so true stories of ghosts <laughs> at the Bueller Bueller. Dang it, Bluer <laughs> Mansion and <Love> Barn. <laughs> Love it. Now I gotta go make out with somebody and try to find that hatchet lady. <laughs> Any volunteers? <laughs> I like it. Good job. Thank you. <laughs>
okay guys so it's my turn now and I'm actually curious to see if you've heard of the I mean I'm sure you've heard of it but specifically the topic that I chose so I chose to do my topic on uncontacted tribes but specifically um, this one tribe called the Sentinelese tribe. I hope I'm saying that right. I have no I don't clue because I can't look at your notes. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm saying it right. But um, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I know the idea of, of tribe, like you're talking about tribes that haven't been contacted by like right. any recent civilization or like to an extent, like modern yeah. and I, but the specific name, I have no clue what that name is. Okay. So this tribe is the number one tribe that has the least contact ever. They have contact because it's impossible in our modern world for them not to be contacted, but it's the one that's had the least amount of contact, a contact. And it's very, it's, they're really interesting from what we can see, you know? So I might be jumping the gun here, but is it like no contact at this point? Is it like no contact by choice on their part or is it just a hundred percent their choice, but kind of the outside world also agreeing to leave them, alone. leave them alone. Okay. Yeah. After all this crazy shit, I'm about to tell you. Okay. So, okay. So like I was saying, um, on uncontacted tribes still exist today. This is the one that's the most uncontacted. All the others have mostly sadly been desecrated for various reasons mostly colonization and stuff like that yeah it's great so um they live relatively archaic compared to our society obviously because they don't have modern technology resources all that stuff um but by choice they don't want to um with how fast the modern world is developing and also our curiosity about these groups it's becoming more rare for those groups to even exist and they kind of don't anymore besides this one group so um they are like i said the sentinelese group i hope i'm saying it right here just look this is how it's spelled let me see I, me personally, I would say it the same way. So okay. Sentinels. Sentinels? <laughs> yes. So they live on a North Sentinel Island, which is one of the Andaman Islands in the Indian Ocean. Uh, the Sentinelese people are highly objective to having no contact with the outside world, and they fight anyone and anything that comes near them. So is this island, is it like near a larger landmass or is it kind of like in the middle of the Indian Ocean? It's a bunch of islands. Okay. And this island is one of the northern islands and it's basically all the tribes on uh, the other islands have been contacted or taken over and all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. But is it like near 
I'm asking, is it near, like, a continent? Is there, like, like... Yeah, but further away. away. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yes. So, the Survival International, which is a group that helps to protect the tribal land, or all tribal lands, from loggers, miners, and oil companies, fight to ensure that they remain uncontacted just as they wish. Um, it's also believed that if they are contacted, that they would catch a modern disease or virus that they're not immune to that would wipe them out, which has happened a lot. Yeah. Um, this happened to most of the neighboring tribes when the British colonized their islands and wiped them out with simple things like the modern flu and measles. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Sentinelese tribe islands is highly forested and about the island is about the size of Manhattan. They viciously fight all contact by attacking anyone who comes near with bows and arrows and spears, which makes people even more curious as to how they're living and how they've survived all this time out there. Right? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's thought to, which we don't know, but there's about a hundred of them. So so it's a small, yeah. small tribe. Yes. And that's intriguing. Like, I, I don't know if you'll answer this later, but like, since colonizers came and conquered, I'm, I'm assuming conquered the other yeah. tribes and mm -hmm. all that, um, why they left this one island alone, especially if they're still fighting with, like, the same methods you would think the other ones would be fighting with. I think a major part of it is that this group was the most vicious in attacking any outsiders. Oh, so they didn't even try... They're like, no, we ain't even gonna try to be friends. Like... Exactly. We don't know you Which, I'll tell you a few stories, but where people have tried, and it's kind of moot point you know like there's no point in it okay yeah <clears throat> so most is most of what is known about them comes from observations that had happened from boats that could get as close as a bow and arrow can't reach and some stuff that they've seen from above because they sent like drones and planes to try to gather information and also from the rare occasions where groups have gotten close enough and interacted with them. Um, so this is what is known. They hunt and forage in the forest for food and then they fish in the local coastal waters for food. Um, they also have super small and narrow boats that they use to get around in the shallow waters, but they don't use like, uh, what are they called? Rower, rower oars. paddles. Or paddles or oars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <those laughs> they use poles to get around, like stick it in the ground and move that way. Uh, so they're really like. They don't go far out. Exactly. They stay very coastal. Um. Let's see. Wait, where was I? <laughs> oh, okay. They live in three different styles of houses. There's two different styles that are larger communal huts that are closer in or 
further inland that fit multiple families in them. And then there's smaller, more temporary houses that only have a roof, don't have sides that like one family can fit in at a time. And those smaller houses are seen more on the shores and beaches. Um, and oftentimes they're abandoned. So I'm guessing they just use it when they're out fishing or something. Yeah, it's like, more... hey, I know I'm going to be out overnight, so I might as well just chill here rather than Yeah, or because you picture this island is as big as Manhattan. So maybe if they're going to a certain part of the beach for a couple of days or weeks to fish and stuff, they just build them real quick. Yeah. Um, they wear strings tied around them, kind of like jewelry, basically, and clothes. So the women have them tied around their waists, their heads, and their necks. And then the men's wear similar, but their waist belts are thicker, I think, to cover okay. their manhood. So, so they're not running around fully naked, Mm, kind, I mean, kind of, kind or to our standards. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they cover themselves with these, like, strings, basically. Okay. Um, and then the men's will carry... The men's? The, men's. the men <laughs> will carry spears, bows, and arrows. Um, even though they are highly isolated, they are still constantly evolving, despite what people think. Because people have said, oh, they're stuck in the Stone Age, and that's not true. They've evolved over time, mostly because of stuff that washes to shore for them. Like metal, for an example, will wash inland, or sometimes they'll go further out into the reefs, and they'll collect metal from shipwrecks, and they'll sharpen this metal, and they'll add it as arrowheads and stuff. Okay. <clears throat> um... So compared to other neighboring tribes that were colonized by the British, these people are clearly very healthy and strong. When they come to the shores and they do interact with people, they just look healthy, like they're muscular and they have kids running around. They have pregnant women. So clearly their tribe is thriving and it always has been. Okay. So I think that's another reason why, too, they survived all of that. So these are stories of contact with the island. Um, in the late 1800s, M.V. Portman, which was an officer in the Andamanese, came ashore with a large group. Um, I think that they hid when this happened because this guy's group was trying to find them and they kept finding like abandoned villages and they fi they searched for days until they finally came across a group of four people it was like an older couple and two kids so they took them back with them for scientific research oh my gosh yes <laughs> of course i know that's how things were back then but it's still so messed up it, it is it really is especially because of what happened um when they took them back with them the older couple died they got sick and died i'm guessing of something like a flu or whatever was going a around at the they time. Hadn't encountered. Yeah. exactly um so they were like 
oh shit. So they were like, let's go send those kids back. So they just took the kids back to the island, which is also sad because, of course, we don't know because we are they're uncontacted those kids could have went back and wiped out who knows how many people with that disease that the older people had Mm -hmm. um then going into the 1970s indian authorities tried to befriend them by bringing them a couple of pigs and a doll they just kind of like dropped them off on the shore as like a gift um the sentinel Sentinelese people took the pigs, killed them, killed the doll too by stabbing it, and then they just buried them. They didn't want any part of that gift. <laughs> they were like, no, thanks, but no. Which probably is good because don't pigs go feral? Like, if you leave them alone. For well, too not long? only that, but they carry disease <laughs> that too. That's true. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> Um, and then in the 1980s, um, the visits became regular. Like, people really wanted to try to offer them gifts, become friends. They wanted to interact with these people. Um, when the government authorities would <clears throat> land outside, again, of the bow and arrow range, they would try to bring them coconuts, bananas, iron, but coconuts was like, the main gift that they would always bring these people, um, which sometimes the tribesmen would appear and they would take the gifts and be kind of friendly. But then when they took the gifts out into the forest, they would come back and start shooting at them again and trying to spear them. <laughs> cool. Thanks for the stuff. Go away. Yeah. They're like, Oh yes. Yes. Now get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> get off my lawn. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, And then in 1991 was the first time that the Sentinelese appeared to be less hostile. For some reason, um, when they approached to give them gifts, they were more open to it. They didn't even have their weapons with them, which was the first time that happened. And they were kind of like wading into the water, going up to the ships and like, getting the gifts that they brought them. Mm. And so, you know, they thought, oh, maybe we made a breakthrough here with these people. Um, But then, no, they became hostile again when they kept trying to come back. And they were like, imagine, first of all, we don't even know what these people think of us or what they think about themselves or the world. So it's hard to even understand why, they become friendly and then they become hostile again. It's like, it's interesting, you know? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I would think it's kind of like, like what I'm kind of thinking is like maybe like a severe introvert kind of thing, you know, like, yeah, I see you're trying to make friends with me and I'll, I'll, I'll take the gesture, yeah. but really honestly, like leave you alone. Thanks. Like, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, <laughs> just, like... we tried again and again and again. <laughs> And what I was thinking, too, is maybe it was, like, you know, as the years went by, 
new tribal leaders came about and maybe some of them were more open to it and some of them weren't yeah and they were like yeah they probably were like yeah they were probably more open to it and they're like okay well we'll let them be friendly you know cool thanks like we see you're trying to do something but then when they kept coming they probably okay guys (laughs) enough coconuts welcome we got worn out like (laughs) (laughs) you're not welcome here forever yeah just leave the coconuts and go (laughs) Um, in 1996, um, the missions to drop gifts stopped because it didn't, uh, sorry, because it was questioned whether it was necessary since this tribe didn't like outside contact and also it didn't seem necessary since they were thriving on their own. Mm-hmm. So they're like, the government was just like, let's just stop. Like, no more gifts. They're friendly. They're hostile. Most of the time they're hostile. It's pointless. Basically. Yeah. Water breaks. <laughs> I need it. <laughs> okay. And then after the tsunami that happened in 2004, like the big devastating tsunami. Okay. The government was concerned about them. They're like, did they even survive this? Because they were kind of in the wake of that tsunami. So they went twice to check on them and ensure that they survived. And this was when they actually got, like, really close-up photos of them, too, that became, like, international news because it was such a big thing. And it was mostly of them shooting bows and arrows (laughs) at them. They're like, yeah, we're fine. Get out of here. (laughs) Um, Glad to see you guys are alive and well. Oh, we're just making sure. Sorry. Be true to yourselves. <laughs> yes. Um, no further contact besides faraway surveillance um, was planned after that. Because they're like, okay, they're good. Let's just leave them alone. If they can survive a tsunami, they're fine. Exactly. <laughs> they clearly don't need our coconuts. See you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should learn something from them. Right. How about that? <laughs> um. In 2006, two Indian fishermen went out to poach the waters around the island. Uh, Poachers often went in these waters to fish for such things as turtles and lobsters and sea cucumbers. I'm like, it's interesting. Like group of things you're trying to get from out out over there. But okay. Um, This these two fishermen were out there and, you know, sometimes it could take days at night. They just like lodged their boat there in the ocean, but it became unmoored, like detached and they floated to shore and instantly the Sentinelese people killed them mm-hmm. instantly. And it became this big thing where people were like, okay, we get they're uncontacted, they have their own system going on, but they can't just kill people and get away with it, which was an argument. But, I mean, what can you do? You know, they don't understand our justice system. They don't understand any of that. Well, and I think, too, if you think about it, like, as far as I understand, no country or anything really owns that spot exactly yeah they you know they say when you go to another country you're under their laws Mm -hmm. and their system exactly so their system is you get too close you die exactly (laughs) which 
especially like international waters it's like there's it's lawless out there anyways Mm -hmm. usually and so it became an argument but it kind of like the government was like whatever leave them alone it's not that (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) um so there wasn't really major contact with them again for a few years because, like I said, people just wanted them to be left alone. It's kind of like, it's almost like, to me, it looks like a living museum. You know, like we have these people who are living in the way we used to a long time ago. And without any outside contact, mm-hmm. this is who they are still to this day. Which is pretty interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Like... I guess maybe one day if they build big enough boats and they want to leave and see how that goes. But I don't think they even want to. Yeah. Like, I mean, if they haven't done that by now, I mean, even though, like you said, they're still advancing as they learn as their own culture. Yeah. And I'm sure they would know, hey, you know, like all the rest of society figured out at one point, hey, if you make bigger boats, you can go further. Yeah. Yeah. So they're probably like, exactly. I've seen some of the outside world. We don't care for it. We'll stay here. It keeps coming here whether we want them to or not. So we don't need to go out there. (laughs) So then the next major case happened in 2018 when an American man named John Allen Cho, who was age 26 at the time, decided he wanted to try and be a missionary to the island and tell them about Jesus. He kept, like, he actually kept telling his parents, like, I really feel like I need to go out there and tell them about God, tell them about Jesus, which, I mean, you know, you're a Christian, so am I. It's like, you want as many people to be saved as possible, especially, like, groups who don't even know about him. Yeah. But it gets into, like, gray, tricky waters where it's like, but should we? (laughs) You know? Yeah, that's always a hard thing, because, like, I know in the past, for sure, like, missionaries definitely have not gone about it in the best ways. Exactly. And that's what's hard. It's like, okay, when is it? the right way and when is it the wrong way and I think that's a really difficult place to be (laughs) especially like and I think too because you know according to like Christianity it's our job to go out there and spread the good news and stuff and especially to people who have never heard about it but it's like to them it it's almost like I don't know I think about like the innocence of children it's almost like the same thing you know like maybe god isn't gonna be like you're all going to hell because you didn't know about me but i don't know i honestly don't know you know <laughs> yeah i'm sure we could dive into religion yeah i'm sure because i know i i've i've heard some sermons where they talk about that and like <coughs> how You'll, I mean, we don't know a lot about this culture. So mm-hmm. uh, there are times where cultures develop this idea of one God and yeah. all that on their own. Exactly. You know, so who's to say? Maybe they do know about God in their own way. You know? True. Exactly. And I mean, that's why I also get 
John's like persistence to be like, well, I want to be the one. And like, if I go out there and I try to save them, like maybe God will save me, you know? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Mission, like some yes, missionaries yes, yes. do some great work and they can be really great people, but sometimes it gets pretty hairy. Yeah. If you're not for doing sure. it for the right reasons or yeah. you go about it the wrong way. So it's, it's exactly. such a hard place to it is. navigate. It is. I know. And it's kind of a scary subject to touch on. Yeah. yeah. Don't hang on us, guys. No, no, Jesus no. Jesus says to love. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but so, John hired a fishing boat to smuggle him as close to the island as they could get him. And then he would take, like, a smaller boat to go out and get as close to the island as possible. He wanted to make full contact. Uh-huh. Um... And what's pretty crazy, too, is he kept a detailed journal about this whole process and experience that he went through. Um, He repeatedly would just, you know, leave the boat, go out to the island, try to get closer and closer each time. Um, Slowly, he would try to make his way to shore and offer them gifts, like same thing, stuff they didn't need. So, so wait, so was it like he just would go as close as he could until they started shooting at him and then he'd go back or was Pretty it much. Like, yeah. Yes, exactly. And he tried to bring them, like, I saw this thing where he was trying to bring them, like, a football <laughs> was one of the gifts he was trying to bring. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to just kill you for that football. Like, they don't care, but whatever. Um, (laughs) They're like, there's not even any juice inside. Um, So one of the times he tried to come to shore, he wrote that he was staying, like you said, out of range of the arrows and he could hear them like doing battle cries of war, like they were planning to attack. Um, But he wrote like, I wasn't close enough though. Like, I could hear them, but it wasn't close enough. So he wanted to get closer. Um, So he did. He got slightly closer, and then he started hearing them shouting in their language. Like, obviously words that he didn't know, but he thought it would be smart to repeat what they were saying to him. (laughs) And so he starts doing that, and then they start laughing at him. Like, busting out in laughter. And he's like, okay, so I'm assuming this is, like, insults or they're cussing at me in their language and I'm repeating it. And they think it's hilarious. Like, what is this guy doing? Um, so he said that he tried to just yell at them, like, I love you. Jesus loves you. Like, I'm John Allen Cho. Jesus loves you. And then he said, this kid came up super close to him. He's like, I'm guessing he was maybe like 10 all the way up to like teenage years. And he just came up to him and just shot him. And he like hid behind his Bible and it hit his Bible. Oh my gosh. Like literally like epic (laughs) the bible did save your life god was trying to save you and he went back to the boat that night and he's like oh my gosh i got shot by them like it hit my bible going out there the next day yay they're like i wonder if the guys on the ship were like hmm maybe you shouldn't you know god will only 
protect you so many times. Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, that is God being like, okay, you tried. Yay. <laughs> nope. He went out there again the next I'm, day. I'm really wondering how this story ends. <laughs> well, you will see. <laughs> my gosh i'm just wondering like i'm like sitting here every second like okay when does he get killed like what's happening don't worry you're about to find out so the night before he like wrote a letter to his parents and wrote his final entry in his diary foreshadowing and this is like quote unquote exactly what he wrote to his parents okay he said You guys might think that I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called to you, and I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The internal lives of this tribe is at hand, and I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping in their own language, as Revelation 7, 9 through 10 states. And then he puts uh, solio dio gloria, which means glory to God alone. That's what he wrote his parents. Uh Before going back to shore for the last time, he gave his diary and the letter to his parents to a fisherman on board. Uh, The next morning when, or so he went and then he went out. The next morning, the fishermen were just waiting because he didn't return. And they're just like wondering what happened to him. And they are watching the shores and they see the villagers bring someone out who's clearly dead and they just bury him right on shore. Mm. So we're assuming obviously he got too close. They killed him, buried him on shore. That's just a guess from what the fishermen saw from a distance because of how he was clothed and stuff and like the silhouette of him. Um, So seven people, including fishermen on the boat, were arrested for helping smuggle him to the island. Because they're like, come on, guys. Like, how many times have we said, don't do this? (laughs) Like, yeah, exactly. Um, And they found out that John had visited the Andaman Sea, which is where all these islands are, three times, or sorry, four times in the past three years, because he was, had been planning this for a long time. Um, His family said um, in an Instagram post, um, because they were like, they kind of understood, you know, like, shouldn't have done this. But he said, um, or sorry, they said he loved God, life, helping those in need, and had nothing but love for the Sentinelese people. We forgive those reportedly responsible for his death. So, you know, I mean, they get it. Like, obviously, these people were just like, this dude's just coming in to our land, and they killed him. And the, um, the government kept saying that they were going to try to go retrieve his body for the family. And they're like, it's going to take us a couple of days. Just give us time. 
but they never went and did it. I mean, it's... Well, I was going to say, like, if they haven't been able to go where, you know, beyond the range of the bows and arrows exactly. in the past, like, and again, we don't know the culture of these people, and I don't know if they would understand our idea of, hey, we want that to body bury back. that body. Yeah, <laughs> like with probably us. not. <laughs> so I just was reading, like, the news articles and stuff right after it happened, and it kept saying, like, oh, we promise we're going to go get... get we're gonna go back and get the body and then they never did because it's like yeah yeah like we haven't been able to get there for anything else like i don't don't understand why you would make that promise i don't understand that either it was kind of weird to me because i was like why would they promise that like and i was expecting to read that they did but they didn't so pointless to even promise that yeah that's a hard one because i'm like okay like I don't know. I, 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 again, I get John, right? That was his name? Yeah. Like, I can kind of get where John's coming from, but then yeah. I'm like, come on, guy, common sense. Yeah, like, exactly. Especially on your own as a person who doesn't even know the language, you know? Like, yeah. And I'm like, because even that, it's like, if you can't get beyond yelling range... You guys yeah. don't share a common language. Mm-hmm. And they're being hostile towards you. Well, and my thing is, too, is it's like, I can shout Jesus loves you till the end of time, but if you don't understand <laughs> exactly. English. Or you don't even know who Jesus or love is. You're like, <laughs> what? Yeah, they're like, to the, like just like to him, they were yelling gibberish. You mm-hmm. know, it's the same to them. You're exactly. yelling gibberish. Exactly. You and know? they just see you as encroaching on their territory like yelling some stuff yeah like i mean i you know i have all the sympathy in the world for them losing their son yeah of course like i can't even imagine you know and it's just i i just don't quite get it i just i don't get it it. either if my son was telling me he was gonna go to this uncontacted tribe on this island that's known to be violent and hostile in the past like what no yeah and i mean and and my thing is it's like again there's a right way to do this stuff Mm -hmm. and there's a not so right way yeah and like in my mind and again hindsight's 2020 but you know whatever in my mind i would think maybe see what research has been done on the culture is there anything we can learn which i'm sure he did which maybe but i'm like again where i'm getting at is like Try to learn, like, their language first, you know, yeah. before you're running out there yelling, Jesus loves you. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, At like... least learn that phrase in their language. Yeah. At the very least. If that'll even get you anywhere. Yeah, though. but, like, like, and like we've said, the, despite people, like, showing them other means of friendship through non-language yeah. methods. Yeah. Um, you know, you see the pattern. Exactly. See, and exactly. The thing is, is that it's hard because, like, I know it's, like, God changes people, but it's, like, in, like, people, people don't change. <laughs> it's, like, it's kind yeah. of, like, it's a two-sided yep. coin. It's, like, you know, in our religion, yeah, God can change you. God can do things. But you have to want that change for yourself. And then, well, like, but, and, and it's, like, decades. Well, they guess that these people have been there for at least 55,000 years. So, it's, like, yeah. 
ancestors after ancestors after ancestors. Like, you think some one dude is going to go and change their entire way of life. It's... Yeah. I think... And, and he probably would have needed a lot more time before he went running on that island. Yeah. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is everything is documented in his diary, but we don't know what happened that last day he went. Yeah, because he didn't take the diary. No, which is weird, too, because it's 2018 when he went. Why wouldn't he bring, like, a GoPro or something, you know? But, I mean, maybe he was trying to minimize how much he was taking. Yeah, but he brought the football. Well, he did bring the <laughs> He's like, they'll all get this. I'll just throw it at them and it'll be fine. <laughs> they'll catch it and then everything will change. Yeah. Oh, I'm so torn between like, oh gosh, we're not trying to be disrespectful. No, like, of course. I know. His, his, his intentions yes. were noble. Yes, they but were. But he just. I get it. Obviously totally. didn't quite go about it the right way. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was like blind. Some intentions. mistakes were made. <laughs> yeah, blind but noble intentions. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um. <clears throat> so then, um, basically, this is the last form of contact that we've had. Was later in the same year, the first woman made contact with the tribe. Uh, I'm probably gonna butcher her name. I'm sorry. Uh, anthropologist Dr. Madhamala Chattopadhyaya. Uh, Madhamala Chattopadhyaya? Uh, Haye? Yeah. Ma- ma- There's different ways you could probably pronounce that, but yeah. I honestly am not. <laughs> Well, she is an Indian woman, an anthropologist, who decided after everything that happened with John to go out there with a team of 12 others, like other doctors, anthropologists, and just a team to help because she had made contact with other tribes of the islands before so she did know that language and she like made contact with them got friendly with them so she thought well let's just do one last attempt so not the sentinelese but the surrounding yes yes and so she kind of got the culture and stuff a little bit obviously we don't a hundred percent know theirs specifically Mm -hmm. um but Actually, it went way better than anybody could have expected. Um, They kind of came close to shore and they started literally just putting coconuts in the water and just letting them float to shore. Uh, The Sentinelese came out to gather the coconuts. Like, they're just like, cool, pulling the coconuts from the ocean. Um, And they were out there for like four hours pushing these coconuts out. They would pull them in and then that was pretty much it. And then they ran out of coconuts. So they're like, well, let's go back and get more. And so they went back, got more coconuts and came back. And this time the Sentinelese were like in the water, like waiting and like 
getting so close to the boats that they were like touching the boats and they did have their weapons with them. Um, the doctor, I'm sorry, I'm not going to attempt her name again, but she recalls one of them came up with a spear directed exactly at her face. And she was like super scared, but she just like kept handing them the coconuts. And she said that there was a woman on shore who was yelling in their language and their language was slightly different from the other tribes. So the doctor was able to communicate a little bit, like say some of the words and they kind of understood because she said when they first came up to the shore, they were basically yelling in their language, like coconuts, more coconuts is what they were saying. And so she said this woman on the shore was yelling and there was a person with like a bow and arrow who was aiming at them and they shot, but it kind of just like fell into the water, not even close to them. So she's like, I don't know if it was like them just a warning, like don't come any closer. And um, they eventually, like, that guy who was pointing the spear at her face just lowered it after that, and they took their gifts and left. And that was it. That was the last time anybody's contacted them. But besides, of course, like I said, they still monitor that, like, by planes and drones, just to make sure they're at least still there and still thriving. And they are. So... Dang. <laughs> yeah, so that's my story. And I have heard about them several times before, and they always interest me because it's like, I just really one day, maybe far in the future, be curious if we'll ever know. I was going to say, don't tell me you're going to go share Jesus. <laughs> no, I won't <laughs> attempt that. But. I'm, like, curious to see how they're living, you know? Because, I mean, we'll come across, like, ancient, like, people and we'll dig up their stuff. And it's so interesting to see how people used to live. But it's, like, this group is living now. Mm -hmm. And we're not, we're staying away from them now. So I'm, like, it's, it's like, really interesting. Which I'm glad that we're overall respecting them because yeah. like, historically we're not so good at that exactly <laughs> exactly that's what i said i'm like it's so interesting because like all the other islands have been for the most part like colonized or we have at least interacted with them more but we've given these people their space to live how they're gonna live mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah no that like i said i had heard that there were tribes of people who had not been really contacted before but like that was the extent of my knowledge so this was yeah. like I was on the edge of my seat like, <laughs> who lives who dies what's happening <laughs> yeah it's it's really interesting that there's people because then after I did my notes and I like turned on my or turned off my tv that was background noise went and took a shower with my electricity and I'm like Imagine if one day they did leave that island and came to a modern, like, civilization. Like, what that... Their minds would probably be blown. Well, yeah, because, I mean, like, 
you know, that happens with the Amish people. Yeah. You know, but they're not even that far back when it comes to development. Exactly. You know, yeah. like, and they have some idea of what's going on out here. Versus yeah. these people, they're like, we don't, we yeah, don't know and we don't want to know. Exactly. <laughs> like, imagine even when they see planes or drones flying over them to check on them and they're like, what's that? Take it down. You know, like. You know, it's yeah. gonna blow their minds. I know it's like it's like that curiosity because it's like I like that we respect them. Yeah, you know, I mean, for the most part, of course. Yeah, there's yeah, of course, the Ogs and Gangs people who want to go yes. bug them, but for the most part, I really like that we respect them and we let them be who they are. Yeah. Um, but I, I can, I can see the the curiosity, like yeah, because I so badly just to be a fly on one of their walls, exactly, and just see like how they live and what they do and everything. If one day we have a way to make like completely silent, invisible drones to just <laughs> go in there and be like, "What's going on in here?" Yeah, but and I wonder though if it's one of those cases where like as curious as you are, maybe it's better not to know. Yeah. Exactly. Curiosity killed the cat. So, (laughs) yeah. But yeah, so. (laughs) Now you're going to, I'm going to be having some weird dreams tonight. (laughs) I know you gotta, I'll show you after this, but I'll show you like pictures and stuff of them that we've gotten. So. For sure. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining us again. And have a good rest of your life until you hear from us again. (laughs) Well, (laughs) all right, bye.